the people, the people who are running the local initiatives who even before the pandemic would have struggled with visas, flights and logistics and all this, you know, they can now attend all these neat digital events that are turning up all over the place and they can get the same access to the best minds and the best connections. It's an accelerator for more equal access. If you are aware of all the tools, if you are familiar with them, so it's not because you master digital applications that you know how to teach pedagogically. It's about both. So mastering uh, tools that allows you to do things in a different way. Hello, everyone. This is Bassem, producer of the show, welcoming you back to another episode of Wise Words, the show where we talk to the world's leading minds in education and beyond. COVID-19 continues to affect many systems and societies around the world. Many continue to not have access to the tools needed for an online education, and third sector organizations are facing challenges in providing their services like the way they were before. Similar to many other industries, such organizations have had to adapt and evolve in response to the situation. This time we're joined by Neila Al-Fahid from Lebanese Alternative Learning and Mike Dawson from Ustad Mobile to discuss the role of the third sector in the pandemic. Lebanese Alternative Learning's Tabshura platform and Ustad Mobile are both cohorts of the WISE Accelerator program and use technology with the aim to provide education to remote areas. Together with host and CEO of WISE, Stavros Yunuka, they'll be discussing more about the implications of the crisis and how such edtech solutions are adapting to continue providing their services to remote areas. Once again, do let us know your thoughts and feedback by sending us a comment to one of our social media channels. And don't forget to subscribe to Wise Words if you haven't done so already on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your preferred podcast app. Hello, everyone. This is uh, Stavros Yanuka, Chief Executive of WISE, uh, welcoming you back for another uh, live episode of WISE Words. My guests today are Nela Al-Fahed and Mike Dawson. Uh, they are respectively the uh, founders and CEOs of Tabshura and Ustad. Mike, Nela, welcome to WISE Words. Thank you, Stavros. Thank you. Thank you. I usually start uh, these sort of lockdown episodes by, first of all, just asking each of you to briefly introduce yourselves and and your work, uh, and then just tell us a little bit about how how you're doing during these these unusual times. Okay, so I'm Naila Zreh-Fahed. I'm the co-founder of Lebanese Alternative Learning and the CEO and uh, so LAL is an educational technology NGO that works mainly on the design and deployment of Tabshura platform. So Tabshura is our main, main project. Uh, Tabshura is a free digital school uh, support uh, program. It's uh, coupled with offline solution, Tabshura in a box. Uh, this is how we met Mike formally. We have a low-cost, easy-to-use boxes that got us visibility and awards. But what is really particular about the, the work of Tapshura is the content is combining the offline solutions with uh, uh, content creation, the content creation part. And also the fact that uh, Tapshura responds to specific local needs and align with uh, uh, official uh, Lebanese curriculum, with the local curriculum. 
So unlike many other NGO, we uh, who no unlike uh, other many content provider, our uh, program are not designed to be I would say universal between uh, between brackets, without being radical or uh, defending any ide- ideology. Of course, the concepts are similar, uh, especially in math and sciences, and our program could be adapted elsewhere. But this was not our our objective. Our objective was really working as educators and working with the field. Uh, we uh, listened to the needs of the communities and the very challenged teacher and their need of digitally adapted and culturally uh, adapted content. And in fact, being part of, of the WISE uh, Accelerator helped us in going further with this idea. Because as uh, working with our mentor, we developed another uh, and kind of another, another project and we are now supporting other NGO who wants to adapt specific uh, learning content. Thank you so much for having us. Uh, we're honored by the uh, company that we're in now. Um, so I'm Mike, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Ustad Mobile. Uh, we are a social enterprise based in Dubai. Uh, we provide a open source app that's designed to enable learners to access and share education content and interact with each other, even when they have um, limited or no internet connectivity. Uh, we've worked in various uh, different uh, countries and the app is available in different languages. Uh, we haven't had use cases in um, Afghanistan, Bangladesh, Kenya. We also have an attendance tra- te- a, a program for teachers to track attendance digitally in Lebanon, uh, which was started under the National Rescue Committee. Um, I originally got involved in this by virtue of making a typing mistake, which put me on a plane going to Afghanistan in 2005. Say say a little bit about that. Um, When I was in university, I um, was looking for summer internships. And I made a typing mistake with a normal application form and it got lost. So my application wasn't considered. So I had to look for alternative destinations. And that's where I found a program to set up an international student society in Afghanistan. So I went to Afghanistan for the first time in 2005, went back, started a company that got involved in doing education technology projects in Kabul, and stayed there for eight years and uh, dropped out of university. And Ustad Mobile was sort of an extension of that time in that company and sort of applying a lot of what we learned, you know, more broadly. So I guess being locked down in a building is not that much of a new experience to me. I guess the new experience is that everybody else is also locked in. Uh, you know, there are worse places to be. And we're, we're very, I'm very grateful that our work is both possible to do remotely. You know, a lot of people, uh, you know, you ca- cannot do their job remotely. You cannot repair a bike over Skype. Um, and, um, yeah, we're grateful also that some of what we're doing hopefully is helping to mitigate some of the uh, impact of this uh, virus. Thanks. Thanks, Mike. Now, now both, both of you 
your organizations and your platforms work with uh, with displaced populations or, or populations that are under uh, considerable duress. Do you want to say a little bit about how the pandemic has has sort of impacted your your operations and also the target the, the target populations that you're trying to serve? Naila, let's start with, with you again. I would say that uh, first the pandemic highlighted the gap uh, that we were targeting, uh, providing free education and digital support programs. So it highlighted the gap between privileged community accessing privileged school and underprivileged community not being able to have uh, remote uh, teaching uh, and support. And so uh, 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 this was the first. Uh, this was the first thing we tried to address by providing offline solution. And it also underlines the importance of uh, teacher professional development. So it's not enough to have the technology. It's how you use the technology appropriately. And. Uh, uh, we decided to uh, to add to our programs that were mainly supporting students, and now we are adding to our program uh, remote pedagogy courses, guide for distance teaching and learning, uh, doing remote capacity with with facilitators, and trying to find uh, a cheap offline solution to allow students in every remote area of Lebanon to access uh, education. And I have to say we succeeded in some of those projects. We have more challenges in, in others. Do you, want, do you want to say a little bit about what, what has been particularly challenging? So we have offline solution, but the offline solution works in a group. So the challenge was now we have individual people living with their family. So how to get internet and devices to them. So we found that the phone, and everybody knows that, so the phone is the most used devices. And we worked to upgrade our system to be to allow phone to download content uh, from centers that we will be providing with boxes. So people can come, download some of the content, work offline, come back, upload, download, uh, upload, download content. So it's a process. We started that. Uh, so it's a process, and I think we will be ready for the next school year to have this in place with the help of many other partners, uh, funders, and, and the community. So this was one of the main challenges. One challenge we had before that disappeared is changing the mindset of people for, uh, to tell them that digital learning is okay. And so now, now everybody wants uh, uh, digital, yeah. digital learning. Uh, another barrier is uh, what I was saying uh, just before that. How can we teach remotely without rep- reproducing a classroom? And, and my question was, uh, if you reproduce a classroom, will the students sleep better in the class or in front of the screen? And I think it's uh, uh, we have to benefit from digital to innovate in our ways of teaching. And this is something we have to build while empowering teachers and giving them uh, capacity building. We have also to be aware of the link between the digital screen and the environment and and make links between digital programs and the environment of the child. Ask him to observe things around him. 
Use the house, use the garden, use the street, uh, look from the window, tell me what you see. Uh, make the link, uh, not to, uh, to like, uh, uh, clo- make a close universe between the child and, and his screen. I, I, I want to come back to that in, in terms of what, you know, what, what are we learning from, from this experience? But, but let, me, let me hear from, from Mike about what, uh, what's been your uh, company's experience. I, don't, I think Naylan made a lot of good points, so I won't repeat too much of, of that. I think you know, we have some similar experiences. And they, you know, I think you know, part of the excellent work that Lebanese alternative learning is doing is because they are so you know, focused on Lebanon and you're intimately familiar with the exact challenges in Lebanon. Uh, which is um, not the situation we're in because we're providing uh, software to various different um, partners. As, as Nayla said, you know, um, all of a sudden, there's a cri- what people have prioritized distance learning and online learning or online offline learning. You know, what was before something they were thinking that maybe they will think about it in their next five year plan. All of a sudden, it's a fire, and they need it yesterday. You know, they, they not be, before on our website, we would get maybe a few submissions, queries in a week. Now we're getting like 10 to 20 messages a day saying, I have this project, I have that project, I have the other project. So um, maybe one of the silver linings is that this is being considered. And I think, as Naila said, you know, it's highlighting some of the differences between the haves and the have-nots, even in the UK uh, with the wealth and connectivity, which is there, um, it's highlighting, you know, the 40, 45% of kids are not doing homework on a weekly basis, even with all, all this in, in place. Um, I mean, we're seeing, you know, in some of the places where we have projects going on, even smartphone ownership is not completely commonplace. Like in, you know, certain populations in Afghanistan, people don't even have smartphones or devices outside. So we're having to look at how can we integrate a model where the teacher has a smartphone, but the students don't. And the students are like doing the assignments set by the teacher by means of SMS quizzing, for example. So there's various different adaptations that we're trying to roll out and we're trying to roll them out very quickly because of the urgency of the situation. Um, yeah. And I think the final thing that I would say is, like they say, you know, if you get a pet dog, you don't just get it for Christmas or for the holiday. We shouldn't be thinking of getting a remote learning system just for the COVID crisis and putting it out the next day. You know, we should be looking at systems that will be useful well into the future to supplement the learning that happens when kids go back to the classroom, um, to help, like, you know, when kids are out of, uh, can't go to school because they get sick, which happens in a lot of disadvantaged areas, kids get sick far more often. And when they get sick and they don't go to school, they're losing out. If we have distance learning solutions like the great content that Tom Shaw has, you know, the, that can help mitigate some of that, already massive loss that happens uh, when kids get sick or particularly in certain communities when uh, teenage girls hit puberty and the time that gets, you know, that sometimes they are 
out of school, unfortunately, during that time, you know, these sorts of things could have still have value after COVID. Yeah, no, you you've both made I think some some really interesting points, you know, and I and I want to pick up on those. Let let me pick up uh, first on what uh, you said, Nayla, about you know not recreating you know the the classroom environment when we think about distance learning that just unpack that for us because that's that's an argument i've you know i've i've heard before and it's 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 a compelling one but i haven't yet heard of of examples uh compelling examples of how you actually you know do that how do you create a new a different learning environment using uh, uh, digital technologies, whether it's online or offline? The mostly common used uh, feature uh, in remote teaching is videos. Either teacher films themselves and send the video to the kids, or uh, it's, uh, it's like us. So we are face-to-face. We don't know how many people are listening, so it's a little bit weird. So it's a face-to-face. Uh, mm-hmm. And so the teacher will be conventional again. He will, he will lead the explanation. Uh, he cannot see what the kids are doing. He cannot do group work. So how to, to deal with that? Actually, there are, uh, uh, we are working with a, a remote pedagogy expert on that. And there are a lot of interactive methods usually used in the classroom that we can couple with interactive tools that can be also be, be used. Like instance, you can have group works. You can have problem solving. You can ask the, the children to, you know, to, uh, to come up with a creative idea. You can do all this. So this is, uh, if, you, if you are aware of all the tools, if you are familiar with them. So it's not because you master uh, digital applications that you know how to teach pedagogically. It's about both. So mastering uh, tools that allows you to do things in a different way, and another uh, on, on um, uh, also on, on another note, uh, it was the load. Uh, so reproducing the school uh, remotely, the students were, were were overwhelmed. This is the student part. So the teacher part was we don't know. Uh, how to use many resources. We know how to speak in front of the camera and we're doing that. Okay. Yeah. The student part is that the students, uh, uh, the students were overwhelmed by too many. It's not the same being in class, talking with your classmate, having five minute break or having like one hour each teacher, one after the other in a whole morning. So the, the students were overwhelmed and the solution will be Let's give them things to do that digital allows them to do and their direct environments once more allows them to do. Let's give them things to do and reduce our time in front of them. Let's make make them work actively in learning. Let them learn by themselves and let us facilitate this learning and do not reproduce uh, the online teaching uh, experience. That's that's very interesting. Now, Mike, Mike, you you made a point that I... I've been making as well, which is online now is no longer, uh, you know, it's no longer optional and it's no longer uh, a backup. Um, we have to sort of start thinking about 
um, embedding it and integrating it into um, into mainstream uh, education. Uh, and I think you know, I think you made a really a really interesting point when you when you gave the example of you know of, of children who you know may be unwell and can't and can't go to school. You know, and, and I think one one of the things that's going to end up happening coming out of this pandemic is actually, you know, the the whole idea of you know suck it up and go to school just because you know you've got the sniffles or or you're not feeling well that that's that's out the window now. You know, we're we're going to we're going to be a lot more conscious about our you know our sort of just basic state of health. And whether we should be exposing other people to whatever it is that we're, you know, we're we're carrying, and so this idea, I think, of of having having an alternative, almost a, a system running in parallel, I think, is quite quite compelling. Do you want to just? I'd, I'd love to hear your your thoughts on, on this, and and whether you're seeing sort of examples of of how that is be, is playing out at the moment. So I, I think it's interesting. Maybe Neil has seen something similar. Like, for example, the organizations that already had some kind of distance learning thing in place, and this is across contexts and across income brackets as well. A, a school that was already using Tabshora, where the children were already familiar with it, where the teachers were already familiar with it, were probably more ready to deal with this. Yeah. Um, and then it was just a question of how do we, you know, manage the technicalities around uh, access and getting the content. Whereas those who had really never had such a system in place were much more taken aback. Like one of our clients, Voluntary Service Overseas, which is a UK NGO, we provide them with a, you know, rebranded learning management system. So when COVID-19 comes along, they made some special resources. They clicked the upload button. They knew what they were doing. This was already embedded in their projects in Bangladesh and other places, and they were ready to, to, to go with this. Whereas organizations who didn't have anything in place, you know, they're still struggling to figure out you know, the plan is to make a plan. Well, I sometimes hear the refrain, well, we need to evaluate the evidence and see what works. And I think to myself, if your house was on fire, would you insist on a randomized control trial before you applied water to the fire? You know, now is not the time to get involved in the exact intricacies of demanding huge evidence burdens on the exact change. And also, now is the time to look at the evidence we already have. We already know from randomized control trials that Khan Academy uh, maths and science content is effective for teachers and students. Now, how can you make the argument that this content is going to be 10 times less effective because you're using it on a mobile phone offline instead of using it online on the Khan Academy website? Do we stop for two years to run a pilot to come up with a paper to prove that? Um, this, This doesn't... This doesn't make sense to me. And I think the classrooms that were already having systems in place, um, you know, like here locally in Dubai, everybody was already using Google Classroom and Blackboard and everything else. So Mm -hmm. it wasn't that much of an adaptation to start using it from your home computer instead of your computer in the classroom. Whereas even in some European countries that were much slower to adopt technology in the classroom, 
uh, like France and Germany come to mind, they were much, they were far more stuck because they didn't have something in place because they relied on students coming in and handing in physical pieces of paper. They weren't ready. So I think maybe the phrase is like digital preparedness. Do you have something ready to go? Whether that's Ustad or Tapshore or Google Classroom or Blackboard or Moodle, do you have something ready to go? Now you, you mentioned you mentioned data and 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 Mike, Ustad supports collecting data. I believe it's on attendance, but also on social emotional issues. Can you can you tell us a bit more about the feature and how how that data is being being used? Um, so we collect, we support collecting various data points. Although maybe attendance data is not that much in demand these days because nobody's home um, physically. Um, so we collect. We can provide support for collecting attendance data. We have a social emotional learning framework that we digitize from International Rescue Committee, which is uh, looking at uh, social nomination and students nominating each other to try to uh, establish who might be lonely or who might be, you know, needing support to integrate a little bit more. Um, we also collect data as people use any kind of digital content. So we support a standard called the Experience API, which I think it's unfortunate that it's not as commonly used as it maybe needs to be, because a lot of the time you see a situation where you've got five different education apps being used, which is fine, but then for the teacher, the teacher has to look at five different portals to get any information, which is not so fine. Um, so we collect what student was using it, how long they were on any given piece of content, um, what was their quiz score, if any. Um, although I that our platform is very much a vehicle for collecting this data and delivering it regardless of connectivity. Mm. That data is only as good as the assessment. If you make a maths exercise that doesn't work, we can deliver that maths exercise and collect all the data about the usage of that maths exercise. Um, but it wouldn't be very good. You know, it's the design of the assessment is really important. Yeah, and, you know, the same goes for, for the content. You know, we can deliver good content. We can deliver not so good content. Yeah. It's, it's a platform. Leila, what, in, in your experience, what, what do you think are some of the important lessons that let's say the formal education sector can learn, you know, from, from an organization like LAL and, and the Tapshura uh, platform. I will agree with, uh, with Mike on readiness and, uh, and on the fact that you cannot produce a solution in, uh, a very short period of time. So you need to prioritize and you need to work on something that will sustain on, on, on the long run. I think all educational uh, institutions learn now the importance of having uh, uh, ready uh, digital systems that will allow them to, to respond to the, to the need of the student. 
something else that we face a lot and I, I, I strongly believe in is uh, the, uh, the relevance of the content. So uh, some content could be great, but not adapted to, uh, to, the, to the needs or to the, what the teacher is currently doing in the classroom. And we cannot expect from an overloaded teacher. And, and we are a free support platform. So in remote areas, teachers do not have the time, the know-how to look in a digital library and you know, select a lesson plan. So what is really important is on two levels is empower the institution to create their own, con- take our content, but also be able to create their own content, mm-hmm. responding to their very specific, uh, to their very uh, specific needs, and help them with a solution, uh, you know, to do that, to implement that. Yeah, and and have you have you also seen a, a sort of increase in in inquiries, people reaching out to you for for help and a lot, a lot, and people trying to find immediate solution, and a lot of those immediate solutions showed that it was it it is not working because it was very quick to be to be to be implemented like okay i found this idea i found this something on on the web and i will be using it and this will uh, bring the you know the solution well i think we learned what is the most important 21st century skill we have to be flexible and all our uh, solution and education should be flexible should be adaptable and we should be flexible and adaptable too to the new uh, needs of a world that is changing uh, fast and in different ways that we were expecting him to. Now, as, as, you know, as we sort of look, look ahead to, you know, to, to the aftermath of, uh, of this pandemic, you hear, you know, of course you hear some sort of horrific uh, numbers, you know, in terms of, of, you know, tens of millions, possibly as high as 60 million people who are going to fall back into, you know, into extreme poverty as a, as a result of this. And then, you know, obviously mass unemployment, you know, there, there's a lot of sort of doom and gloom out there. I mean, how, I, I guess, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to sort of inject perhaps a note of optimism here, but, but how ready do you think we are, at least from a sort of education standpoint, to deal with this this kind of uh, disruption and, and dislocation, which it, which will have sort of longer term consequences than the, the sort of immediate aftermath of the of the pandemic. And Nayla, maybe you're you know maybe let me start with you because you're you know you're in a in a in a country that is I mean I don't think I'd I'd be offending anyone by saying that it's kind of perennially almost in in crisis but it's also incredibly resilient and resourceful um as well so so maybe let let me start with you and and just get your thoughts on um on all of that i think resilience is elasticity you can be resilient but at a point it will break so i think we are on on this this point of soon breaking um I think what I just said, uh, uh, we have, when we work on programs, we have to make sure we are working on uh, 
skills, flexibility, adaptation, analytical skills that will help the students adapt to the new situation. And my other answer and what is now happening is uh, uh, encourage uh, local initiatives. So uh, maybe uh, in the entrepreneurship skills that is highly recommended in education now, maybe encourage not uh, developing local small initiative. I, I believe in small initiative, as you know. So develop local small initiative and maybe ask also ourselves and in our programs, uh, was the world going in the right direction? Is overproduction a solution? Should we have more money? Or can we find more uh, solutions that will make us more uh, in, in harmony with our environment and our universe? Uh, and I think this is uh, this is not only theory. This is things we can inject in our programs. This is skills we can inject in our students. We can pass to our students, but by making them uh, think. And I think this is very important. Analytical skill empower the uh, the autonomous mind think autonomously, have their own opinion, respect their own opinion respect different others' opinion and find solutions that are not uh, classical, but that could respond to, uh, to, to need. And this, in our problem-solving approaches, we can implement those kind of problems. Uh, not necessarily take a big company and tell, okay, now what do you think the CEO took the right decision or no? But you have this problem, how can you find solution? I'm sure young can be much more innovative and, and find maybe solution we are not uh, thinking about. Thank you. Thank you for that, Neil. And Mike, let me, let me turn to you and, and, and pose that question. I mean, you're, you're also working in, in challenging contexts and, and you, you, may have, you, you may have ended up you know, in, uh, in, in Afghanistan in 2005 as a result of a, of a sort of accident. But you, you stuck with it. I mean, it's, it's 15 years working, again, in, in a context where, you, you, you know, I'm sure you've had your fair share of disappointment and doubts as to whether, you know, what you're doing is actually making a difference. So, so again, what, what made you stick with... Uh, with uh, Ustad and, and your other uh, ventures, and what what again? What can we learn from that? That you know that ought to give us maybe maybe uh, uh, more than just a glimmer of, of hope about the future. Yeah, going back to what Naila said, you know, there is resilience. There is resilience, and I think I'm so it's unfortunate to say that you know. This virus isn't affecting people equally, not at all. No. You know, but a lot of people are being put a lot closer to snapping. Um, if you look at most EU countries, the governments there can borrow money and effectively pay the people 80% of their normal salaries who can't work. Whereas if you're, you know, a day laborer in Afghanistan, and the lockdown is on, life is a 
life was already tough. Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. And it's just got even unimaginably worse. Um, so I think it's important, unfortunately, not to sugarcoat it because unfortunately this is hitting, you know, some of the hardest hit economically are going to be some of those who are, you know, least able to handle the hit or least well positioned to handle the hit in terms of government borrowing, in terms of the way that the government can support the economy going forward. Yeah, there is definitely some, I think in terms of reasons to be optimistic, yes, local initiatives are springing up everywhere and not only local initiatives. You see things like this that in normal times, maybe we would have been lazy. We would have said, well, I know that Stavros and Naylor are going to WISE this year. I won't bother calling you guys or speaking with you. Mm -hmm. I'll just wait until the winter until we get to WISE and we're all talking Doha. Well, yeah. now that's not on the cards. And we have all these neat initiatives that are bringing, you know, online conferences. Not only are the online conferences um, you know, happening and providing a lot of the value that would be in a physical setting, they're more inclusive because the people who couldn't, like the local initiatives, you know, the people running the local initiative who couldn't afford the flight and couldn't afford the visa and couldn't afford, um, you know, the rest of, oh, I hope you're all right. I guess this is why we're working from home. The people, the people who are running the local initiatives who even before the pandemic would have struggled with visas, flights, and logistics and all this, you know, they can now attend all these neat digital events that are turning up all over the place and they can get the same access to the best minds and the best connections even though, you know, physical travel would have been, you know, problematic for them without the pandemic and i think it's um it's an accelerator for let's say you know more equal access uh with lower carbon footprint to events and it's also an accelerator for connecting you know to different contexts that you know maybe need extra um i wouldn't say skills input but you know we you know, we can all learn from our own local initiatives. And now that we're not just waiting to meet up, we're much more likely to, you know, go ahead and do things without physically meeting and not wait and just, you know, get on a conference call and, and move something and share knowledge. So I think that could help um, local initiatives and hopefully all, you know, governments and are going to think about how they are digitally ready because, the virus isn't just going to vanish overnight. The situation is fluid. Schools are going off, schools are going on, and they're going off again. So we have to be ready, as Naylor said, to be much more flexible in the future. And if we are ready for that, that will help us in the post-COVID world, and it will help us deal with routine illness and stuff like this as well. Well, thank, thank you both for that. Before we, uh, before we close off, let me just ask each of you to, to tell us a little bit about what's what's next for each of your uh, each of your initiatives I think the first phase will be 
I would say listening. This is also a skill we have lost. Uh, maybe if we have listened more, we would have, you know, projected things that could happen or are happening. And uh, collaborating. So, of course, growing. I won't go into, uh, we want to grow our program, complete our resources, help more students, help uh, more teachers. This is, of course, what we want to do. But we are adding to this a lesson that we have learned. So we will be listening even more to the needs, listening even more to the, to the field. Uh, and uh, uh, we, uh, uh, something that is very uh, important to me, particularly is uh, we, in, in all those discussions around being local, supporting local uh, people to, I think the local will be one, one of the answers, especially in, in small country like ours. I think also uh, uh, developing more uh, culturally uh, adapted content, be it music, arts, literature, history, because I think the globalization of education could be a threat to those cultures, to those small cultures who do not have the money of the big nation to expand. So I think this will be also one of our main focus uh, is to... uh, Listen once more to our culture, listen within, listen to our deep culture, listen of, to our uh, uh, different component of the, of the society and try to, to make this uh, survive into, into digital. Yeah, this, uh, this situation has certainly accelerated our, our work. And yeah, as you said, you know, were there times that we thought, oh, is this really worth it? Well... Now is a time that we realize this is really worth it. We really have to uh, buckle down and do even more. Um, so we're trying to, you know, enhance the functionalities that we're providing, as Neil alluded to, we're, we're listening to what people need. Um, we're really excited. Hopefully, inshallah, around the end of next week, we have a new feature set coming that supports um, allowing teachers to assign content offline remotely and then you know allowing the teachers to see the progress of that content as students go through it so like a google classroom that kind of functionality uh, that doesn't need that very much if, if any internet access so we're excited about being able to to roll those out um we have a nationwide deployment together with the Ministry of Education and UNICEF, uh, not in Afghanistan, but in the region, uh, which is very exciting, which will go out. So uh, there's a lot of expanding, expanding use cases. And, you know, we're a five-person organization. We're also small, uh, but we see that, you know, we have created tools that apparently have uh, eluded organizations that had millions of dollars to do the same things that we have done for much smaller sums. So we're hoping to see, you know, greater adoption. And we're also hoping to involve more people in the development. We're an open source project. So we're hoping to start a community. So that instead of us just being the universal people who are pushing software and we're the only ones building and creating we want this to be a more collaborative thing between different organizations, different developers in different places 
you know, uh, having a more collaborative direction for the software. Well, thank you. Thank you, Mike. And um, I want to thank you both for, uh, for, for coming on to Wise Words and, and sharing your, your thoughts, experiences, and, and ideas with, with us. And I want to thank, of course, the, uh, the, the audience for, uh, uh, for listening to us. Uh, it's actually from a, from a wise standpoint, this, uh, the, the availability of this format um, has been something of a, of a blessing for us, given that what a lot of what we uh, did in the past relied on, on these face-to-face interactions and bringing people you know, people together. And I have to say that what you said, Mike, about this, the digital being a lot more accessible and inclusive, um, I think is something that we have, we have learned through, through this process. So uh, again, thank you both for being part of uh, Wise Words and uh, thank you to folks from around the world who have uh, logged in to, uh, to listen to us. And there you have it. Many thanks to Mike Dawson and Naila Al-Fahid for joining us in this discussion. And thank you for tuning in. Once again, if you liked this episode, don't forget to let us know by reaching out to us on our social media channels and let us know what you think. All the links for that are in the description. And be sure to subscribe to the podcast if you want more from Wise Words. Thanks for tuning in and looking forward to having you here next time.